The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken and Ethan. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. This show is designed to share with you prudent ideas on how to increase your net worth through prudent financial planning and investment strategies. Our mission is to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. I like that. That's exactly right. Okay. Ethan, why don't you give out our uh, contact information and what we're all doing here, and then we'll get into today's (laughs) topic. And one of those was I wanted to... uh, Talk about the article, an article that appeared in Smart Money by uh, financial journalist Brett Ahrens titled, if, if both stocks and bonds are expensive, a balanced portfolio may not work. Uh, thought we could kind of go through this. Sure. I think one of our listeners had, or prospects or clients or somebody had, uh, had shot this article over. I thought it would be a great time to talk about it. I think that sounds good. Uh, just a reminder out there, uh, if if you would like to participate in today's show, this is a live, uh, it's a live recording. It's a live broadcast. So feel free to give us a call or shoot us an email, and we'll happily uh, have you on the show today if you ask a good question, that sort of thing. Uh, you can reach us at contact at empiradio.com or uh, by phone at 866-472-5790. And, of course, if you're uh, an individual investor out there looking for perhaps a second opinion in your portfolio, maybe you're uh, – looking toward retirement and want to fine-tune your retirement plan, uh, feel free to give us a call. We'd, we'd happily help you with that. And as always, as well, oh, oh boy, we have a caller. That's exciting. Um, if you're a professional out there and you'd like to talk with us about partnering up with a very well-established firm who's gone through the uh, a lot of effort and, and, and time and expense to get things uh, just right in terms of the infrastructure to help you serve clients better, uh, give us a call as well. Number there is uh, 206-923-3474, and just ask to speak with Ken or Ethan. All right, Ken, what's next? That sounds great, Ethan, and we would love to hear your opinion as we talk today. And uh, Again, our purpose here is to use our years of, uh, what, 30-plus years of combined experience. Probably. Uh, that experience be- being mostly working with individuals directly to build financial plans, retirement plans, college savings plans, investment plans. Um, so I think we're advisors first and radio hosts second or authors second. Um, we don't make a career per se out of <laughs> uh, coming up with things to get people excited about reading. Our real goal here is to educate and help 
to illuminate on. There's so many, so much advice out there. Um, we're just using our practical experience and the knowledge and the time we've spent studying, um, and not all of it being in school or in credentials or any of that, but just studying on how the market works. Um, so I wanted to preface that with our discussion about, you know, this article and I've got several others we could talk about, but, uh, I know that, that people get a hold of things like a smart money magazine, or you might read the personal finance section of the wall street journal, or you might subscribe to any literally hundreds of newsletters, thousands of newsletters probably out there that claim to provide financial advice. Right. And I, I want to preface with, uh, our review of this article today with the idea that we believe and everything we've studied and everything we've looked at and the way we work with uh, clients, uh, there's a reason why we're not just writing newsletters um, or there's a reason why we don't just create investment products. Right. Uh, we believe that the greatest likelihood of success for most of us is to have a very customized, individualized, written uh, and pl- relationship with an advisor to help guide you through all of those different goals of protecting your wealth and growing your wealth and accomplishing financial objectives. It is very complicated. Um, it's not as easy as it would be if I was just writing articles or newsletters. Because when you do that, you have the luxury of skipping over a lot of the very, very meaningful details and not being accountable for the results in the long run. Yeah. Does that make any sense? I think so. I mean, yeah, no one's going to be... Um you know, this, this particular person or anybody who writes articles doesn't have a, um, specific clients to, to talk with or, or, you know, manage through tough times in the marketplace. Their job's pretty simple in, in a lot of ways. But interestingly enough, a lot of, uh, I think individuals will read something and because it appears in a magazine or because it appears in some established stock, right, uh, publication, they, tend to put more stock in it, I think sometimes more than their own trusted advisor who spent hours and hours of time getting to know them and in many cases has significantly, uh, possesses significantly more knowledge and experience than, than the author of, of some of these, these articles. Sure. Um, so with that being said, then the, the one that was passed to me, uh, is titled, if stocks and bonds are expensive, a balanced portfolio may not work written by Brett Ahrens, and I quickly was trying to get his background. I don't see that he has any experience working on a client level in financial planning or direct personal investment management for individuals. I don't see that he's a certified financial planner or any of that, but that may not be the case. Again, I just got a a quick um, uh, thing off the web off of the, the Smart Money page with his background, and I saw that he has written a book about sports gambling and something else. So hmm. um, I think that's important to know before you start taking advice is what's the ex- actual experience of the person providing that advice. And also, if if the strategy said, talk to an advisor who does these basic principles that are, are backed by overwhelming empirical data, it doesn't make for much of an article, does it? It's really less exciting. The key of getting a, people to read or to, to maybe believe that you want to subscribe to this magazine would be to think that there's timely um, strategies that need to be employed that uh, grab your attention. And the greatest way to do that is to try to put something out that maybe bucks uh, what would be 
um, more, more of a boring, I guess, approach to things. So the article says, and I thought we could just all start reading it and we'll kind of comment. I've got a lot of data here we can cross-check his numbers with. But the article says, uh, what if everything your investment advisor is te- telling you is wrong? Now, I would be more inclined, I'm going to stop already in the first sentence to ask, what if everything I read in Smart Money was wrong? <laughs> That's a good one. I think that was your idea. Oh, was it? Um, yeah. Well, I, I noticed that because I didn't see you know any any credentials after this person's name, uh, PhD in economics or finance or any of that stuff, uh, but more like you said, uh, maybe he's like sports or something. I don't know. So that being held aside, I I I would, and it doesn't have to be us as your advisor, but I would certainly say. I would put a lot more stock into what my financial advisor is telling me, assuming that they do have the experience and the credentials and the independent third-party research to back what they're saying, which I believe we do in our case, right? over a journalist who gathers together um, you know, headlines and, and articles to engage attention. Right. Um, so I think that would be the first thing I would say, Brett, hey, I appreciate you writing an article, but before you say fire your advisor or whatever everything your advisor is telling you wrong, whatever everything you read in magazines is wrong. And, uh, and if you look at some of the headlines throughout history and some of the articles, um, many of them have gotten it wrong, um, that, that kind of shoot from the hip short-term advice. Right, right. Many very famously. So he says, look at your mutual, but by the way, I am no fan of most of what the advisory community does. I think the way we invest represents maybe 20% or less of what individuals and or other advisors and Wall Street brokers do. So in that case, I want that to be known that, hey, I don't, I'm not saying every advisor does a a great job or is doing the right thing or the evidence-based approach to investing. That's what makes investing, in my view, so difficult, whether you're doing it with you on your own, or you have professional advice. It's evaluating either way. Am I doing the? Am I taking the best course of action? And that's tough. Mm-hmm. So he says, look at your company. Uh, what your comp- The mutual fund choices your company is offering in your four hundred one k plan, because we're no fans of most of those. Uh, look at the portfolio of those target date funds. You're supposed to rely on with their long term return forecasts and their. So-called glide path to retirement. Look at the asset allocation plan your financial advisor has drawn up. Chances are, when you cut through the jargon and the spin, they're all based on one big assumption. That a balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds rebounds regularly will see you through whatever comes next. So I'll pause there, and I think we've got a couple minutes before we take our first break, Ethan. But... Um, when he says that their long-term forecasts and their so-called glide path um, to uh, to retirement, right? Um, that a balanced portfolio of stocks. Keep that in mind when we get to the end recommendations that are made in this. How okay, they, how they differ, right? All right, because they have to be based on some assumption, right? Sure. And my question will be, what assumption does he provide in terms of the return of that end portfolio he recommends? I think it's easy to get lost in the article and then not hold him accountable to what you're saying at the beginning. Right. Um, Could that analysis be off base? Uh, Well, so he's saying here, we'll see you through the next whatever whatever comes next. So 
that a balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds rebalanced regularly will see you through whatever comes next. Could that analysis be off base? It can't be, say, the investment advisors. And then he puts quotes, look at the data. Going all the way back to the 1920s, a standard portfolio of 60% stock, 40% bonds rebalanced regularly would have made you about 8% a year. And if you had taken on more risk by owning more stocks and fewer bonds, you could have earned even more. Quote, so don't worry about the market and volatility. If stocks go down, your bonds will go up and vice versa. Just create an appropriate portfolio of the two based on your age and risk tolerance and rebalance it once or twice a year. You'll do just fine. Sounds good, right? Well, I I don't go around promising people 8% as a financial advisor. I don't go around shoving people into 60-40s blindly either. Right. Portfolios of 60% S&P, and that's the data he provides here, I think, is based on U.S. stocks, large-cap stocks. Um, so when I see these articles, there's a huge flaw in the way that they present the data because they're not presenting a globally diversified portfolio that includes, on the equity side, the 15 asset classes we recommend yeah. involving. Um, I guess we have to take a quick break, Ethan. We'll okay. come back and pick up on this article when we get back. Let's do it. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith here. Uh, if you'd like to join the program today, feel free to give us a call or email. We can be reached at contact at empiradio.com or 866-472-5790. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So pick up the phone and give us a call. All right, Ethan. We were uh, reading this article, which I was... Um I was informed that the actual title of it was Why a Balanced Portfolio May Not Work. That was the title of the, the article. Okay. And we were reading from it going into the break um, where Brett was saying that uh, here's the problem. So we're talking about uh, um, uh, he's referring to a balanced portfolio as, I guess, a 60% stock and a 40% bond portfolio. Right. And I was saying, well, that should never be a standard portfolio for anyone because it's important to take into account an individual's investment time horizon and their capacity to, to withstand risk, investment risk, and also their emotional response to risk, risk being the uncertainty of getting a particular return and, more importantly, the decline from any point in time to another point in time, in the portfolio. How much of that can I tolerate? So I don't believe that anyone should be looking for the perfect portfolio. Um, now, in investment theory, this idea that when you mix different asset classes together, sometimes including more individually uh, more risky asset classes can lower the total risk of a portfolio. So that was the idea with Harry Markowitz. And the idea that, hey, a portfolio of up to 20% stock may have less overall volatility than a portfolio that's 0% stock. It's 100% bonds, right? Mm-hmm. May have a higher return and on average would have a lower volatility. Yet stocks themselves are inherently more risky than very conservative bonds. But the way you mix all that together, um, in general, right? once you get beyond that, the more stock you have in a portfolio, the riskier it is. Mm-hmm. Um, or the more volatile the asset classes, um, gold would be one that we'll talk about in this article. Um, very volatile by itself. So he says, here's the problem with this idea of uh, rebalancing a balanced portfolio. The entire strategy is based on the dubious reading of history, a misrepresentation of the facts, and a fair amount of sleight of hand. And it's terrifying to think that so many people are relying on it nonetheless. I never cease to be amazed at what passes for logic and historical analysis in the finance industry. With a click of a mouse, analysts extrapolate the future from the recent past. They claim to derive universal rules from a few decades' data. They ignore the costs and problems of the real world. They gloss over averages hide behind mumbo-jumbo, and pile circular arm arguments upon non uh, kind of sequiturs okay. to build their case. And these are your life savings they are putting at risk. 
So I, do you have anything you want to say right there? <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> I was thinking along the way, I feel like it's exactly what's going on here during the article. I don't mean to laugh like that. Yeah, as you read through the end of it, what comes out is a <laughs> off-the-cuff portfolio recommendation. Right. Made for everyone, I assume, because it doesn't specify anywhere to talk about, to talk to an advisor to make sure that it's appropriate. There is just um, a recommendation that... Um, a balanced portfolio needs to include more than just stocks and bonds. One possible asset allocation model um, he comes up with is 20% stocks, 13% commodities, 7% gold, 30% long-term treasuries, and 30% treasury inflation protected, or TIPS as we call them. Yeah. Um, I guess he's universally recommending that for everybody as an alternative to a 60-40 portfolio of stocks, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And in that portfolio, I'm assuming that he's referring to it as simply a U.S. Uh, S&P 500 stock portfolio and some form of bond index. He doesn't clarify what, what, what he's using there for the bonds, but that is an enormous oversight on his part. And um, I have huge, huge issues for someone who is supposed to be a professional financial person that they would he, here he's talking about how uh, financial analysts and financial uh, uh, experts ex- gloss over data or have a dubious he says here a dubious uh, um, I never cease to make words passes for logic and historical analysis in the financial uh, analysts extrapolate the future from the recent past. They claim to derive universal rules from a few decades' data. They ignore the costs and problems with the real world. They gloss over averages, hide behind mumbo-jumbo, and pile circular arguments upon non-sequiters. I'm not familiar with that one. To build their case, and these are your lives are... Um, oh, dubious reading was the thing I was looking for. This entire strategy is based on a dubious reading of history a misrepresentation of facts and a fair amount of sleight of hand. Um, anything else, Ethan, on that? <laughs> Before I jump in on some stuff? Well, one of the, the main thing I think is hilarious, or funny, and uh, a little bit odd. Uh, it looked like to me before the show started today, I think I commented on this, this portfolio with the long-term treasuries, treasury inflation, protected securities, or, or TIPS, as you say, we call them. A little bit of stocks and commodities and gold. It looks like I just picked one, two, three, four... Hey, give me a list of the, the top five asset classes that performed the best over the last five years, and let's put those in a portfolio. And then let's put all the stocks because you need a little equity. That's exactly what it looks like to me. I mean, it looks like the very dubious um, yeah. work that he's talking about is going into what he winds up recommending. Give me the last the f- last five years of data. Give me the top you know, four asset classes, the highest highest to lowest returns, and I'll take the top four and put them in a portfolio. That's what it looks like. Commodities and gold being incredibly volatile. Yeah, so kidding me. What's your offset of those two? I assuming it's he's it's the sixty percent that he's putting into the two asset classes of long term treasury bonds and thirty percent treasury inflation protected, right? Yeah. All he's done in in his recommendation is reduce stocks to twenty percent. And what basis is he doing that on, or is anyone? We'll kind of get into that. Um but Right. In my view, it's probably because of the poor performance of the last 10 years of large U.S. stocks. Right. He's ignoring and completely in this article any information about diversifying outside of large U.S. stocks. Like that's not even an option? 
Yet we've been carrying around presentations explaining how over the last 12 years, the last decade, the lost yeah. decade period, how large U.S. stocks were the worst performing asset classes. But before that lost decade began, it wasn't after that we started diversifying out of those. Right. We had exposure all over the world um, where large U.S. cap stocks only represented about 30 to 40% maximum of our equity portfolio. Right. Um, the other 70% is scattered across a, a whole universe of, of other equity asset classes, of which have done quite well over the entire last 10 or 12 year period. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to do that is to ignore that is more dubious than anything he's pointing out that other advisors are doing. And, I'd like him to dredge up one of these advisors, by the way, who's blindly walking around shoving everyone into a 60-40 portfolio um, of U.S. large-cap stocks and whatever the bond index is he's referring to in here. Um, because I don't see too many, and we disagree with 80% of the advisors <laughs> out there, and I don't see them doing that, um, Right, most of them. So it's very important to realize that a better strategy or better way of going about this than anything he even writes about in this article would be to understand what 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 we're defining stocks as and other investment asset classes like real estate. So last week we just talked about, Ethan, the fact that one of the areas we allocate to are, are REITs, publicly traded real estate investment right. And how REITs have been the, the, the number one and two equity asset classes year to date, up over 20%, was international Real estate. Um, I don't see him mentioning that at all right. anywhere in, in this portfolio. And we've had, we've owned a diversified uh, uh, position, diversified commodity index for several what seven, eight years now, something like um, that. So certainly we want to include those, but we certainly don't want to include them simply based on what's done well recently. That's the worst possible mistake you can make. It's one in which the financial media tends to. To propagate or you know advance, hey, what's not working in the recent past, and what has, and then let's write about that. That's the worst way to invest. But he does have some valid points about certain people. I just don't know who's doing that. Right. Um, I, I would love for him to cite who's who's saying you'll get eight percent a year in the future, no matter what. Um, even if you look at the investments that he's talking about, nowhere will you find, I challenge him to find in a prospectus of any mutual fund where it says you will get 8% going forward. In fact, the whole purpose of the prospectus, and most of it is explaining all the risks as to why you may not even have a positive return. Right. Right. If anything, the closest thing they can do is just present past performance of a particular fund or index that they're trying to track. But no one... The first thing you should say is no one should use blindly use the past returns of any investment and put them into the future. So when we do financial planning, which which you're the head of our financial planning committee, do you use a um, a linear eight percent a year return, or do you somehow test that <laughs> and say we may not get that? Not only that, but over the next five or ten years, we might wind up with a negative return. Right. Does that mean though that you throw out everything? Um, that you've built in a portfolio that you just throw it out and don't invest at all or just go buy gold? Absolutely not. I think that's the worst possible thing you could do. Yeah. Hey, we got a minute here. You think, should I continue on? Yeah, let's go. 
And do not make the false, uh, do not take false comfort from the fact that so many people in finance say the same thing. Their marketing departments are telling them to push conventional products because those are the easiest to sell. And their lawyers are telling them to push the same thing as everyone else. So if, it, if things go wrong, they're covered. Performance, question mark, that's not their problem. Here's the ugly truth. Contrary to what you're being told, this 60-40 this portfolio of stocks and bonds comes with no guarantees. Again, I'm saying, who's guaranteeing anything? I would love for him to do because I would go after them. I want to get on the bandwagon. I've just, I'm not seeing a lot of people in the investment industry that's willing to guarantee anything. Right. Um, I'd love to see that. Or if they are, like we've talked about the annuity contracts, exactly, they fool around with the way they actually calculate the return. Right. Is misleading. They have you believe it's a six percent guaranteed rate, yeah. actually. And I'd be the first, and we're the first ones to jump on top of that. Right. We're going to take another quick break, and we'll pick up right here. Okay. Continue on the start. Let's do it. Okay. The business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio. Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, 
back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host, uh, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith here. Um, feel free to give us a call and join the show today if you'd like to comment on um, what we're talking about or perhaps you have something else you'd like to discuss. We can be reached uh, via email at contact at empiradio.com or via phone here at 866-472-5790. And uh, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, Ken. All right, Ethan. Uh, as we're proceeding through this article, um, we were leaving off at, uh, he says, uh, Brett Aarons here says, uh, here's the ugly truth. Contrary to what you're being told, the 60-40 portfolio of stocks and bonds comes with no guarantees. There have been long periods during which it has done very badly. And why should we be surprised? There's nothing magic about stocks or bonds or just investments. A balanced portfolio of two makes you money only if one or both is reasonably valued. In the early 1980s, they were both cheap. Today, in an environment whereby some measures both look expensive, all bets are off. So he presents a table in here that uh, dissects some periods of boom and bust. So from 1927 to 1931, he's showing a negative 3.2% uh, return during that period of time uh, with a annually rebalanced portfolio, and he says returns adjusted for inflation. And we have our own calculator, actually, that we built that has the data on the S&P, and I can start any year and end any year. Okay. Um, but I show for the for a 60-40 uh, allocation, if you run it with 60% stock and of S&P 500 and, and the 40 being in one-month treasury bills, for example, I come out with an annualized return of negative 0.4, so four, negative 4 tenths. But when you adjust for inflation... Because we actually had a negative inflation rate from 27 through the end of 31. It was a, a negative 3.7% inflation rate. I'm coming up with an actual positive return for that period on a 60-40 allocation of positive 3.4% per year. So I'll double-check our numbers, make sure this calculator is accurate. Is he using the, uh, the aggregate index for the bonds? I can't no, quite glean that because even there. if I switch it over to our model, which kind of links back to Treasuries, yeah, right. Um, I wind up with a positive three point two inflation adjusted return for that period. Huh. Um, interestingly, though, if you look at a hundred percent stock portfolio from nineteen twenty seven through the end of thirty one, using the S and P five hundred index, okay, you wind up with a a nominal return of negative five point one per year and an after-inflation return of negative 1.4. So the idea of, <clears throat> if you said, that was a tough time or a bad time for a 60-40, well, it was a worse time for all stocks. <laughs> so the reason why you'd have 40%, right, hopefully if you're investing in stocks, you're not doing it for simply a five-year time horizon yeah. that that covers, right? But the, the bond component, or if you just had very conservative bonds in there, actually helped to reduce some of the loss you experienced. So... For example, the worst year was in 1931. The S&P 500 dropped 43%. If you had 60% in S&P 500 and 40% in treasury bills or, or a very conservative fixed income portfolio, you would have a drop. Instead of a 43% decline in that single calendar year, you would have had a decline of about 25%. So my point being is the purpose of Owning 
a portfolio of stocks and bonds is not again not that there's any perfect combination that generates should generate the highest rate of return. Yeah, or every time period. Uh, the idea of including the forty percent that's in bonds over aggressive equity portfolios is when we go through bad times, or you have a shorter time horizon. Yeah, uh, it helps to manage the the downside volatility, and there's nothing dubious about that. That is the facts. Those are the facts of knowing your market history. And I like what he's saying about um, market history. That, in, in my view, it's very very important you understand it. And certainly it can be misinterpreted or misused. But in this case, what we're advising you do is use your market history to know what risk you're taking, not to generate or, or to take what the last five years have done and, and, and use those to extrapolate returns in the future. That's not a great idea. Yeah. Um, now, the longer term, it's empirically proven that there does tend to be a gravitation towards or a pull towards some median, some average return over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you extend your time horizon, the range around that average tends to be smaller. So we were saying in 1931, U.S. stocks measured by the S&P dropped 43%. But over a 10 or 20-year period, we don't have 20-year periods where 20 years later you would still down 43%, right? The band around the average return is much narrower. Right. That is a very important history lesson or, or piece of knowledge that you should understand. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know what I mean? That you just, it, it, it's all depending on how, how you're looking at it, I guess. But there's nothing dubious about understanding that. It's actually extremely important to understand those relationships. Where I think he's way off in, in this first page here, at least. Is he doesn't understand his market history and what, how you should use that history to make better investment decisions. Knowing that stocks can decline 40 or 50% in any single year, knowing, having that knowledge, there's nothing dubious about it. It's critically important. And if you ignore that, you're, you're making a huge mistake. Um, you also ignoring the fact that over long term periods of times, of time, no matter where you bought stocks, expensive or cheap if you had a long enough time horizon they did a pretty good job of staying ahead of, of inflation right so that he gives some segments here good returns for 60 40 and and poor returns um i, w- I don't know that we need to go over my i made my point with just the very first period that he gave right um it's those good returns would have been better if you had more stocks and in the bad returns it's likely that uh, other than one period of time, I think it was at 65 through 82, where stocks as a whole did worse for that long of a period of time than did bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, you certainly weren't hurt by having a balance of them. You got about the return in either group. Right. Yeah, the other thing, too, it's tough to, you know, this is a one, two, three, four, five, six, six time periods sliced up to meet the peaks and valleys just for two asset classes, all of them in the U.S., and I think you mentioned this earlier, but not having the long, you know, 100 years of data on a globally diversified portfolio that includes things outside the U.S. and includes bonds of different types, um, this itself is misleading because you don't you don't know that this is actually what would have happened had you had a more globally diversified portfolio. In obviously our data, we have the recent history since 1970 to, to current times, and this shows a pretty good pretty good outcome. Presumably, that would have been better in the past than what he's showing here too, if you had those same asset classes. And why would that 
outcome be reasonable to look at when it's a shorter period of time? Because I think one of the things he's saying here is in recent times, uh, things are, are doing better, but we had interest rates coming down, right? And so bonds were doing yes. okay. And then you had stocks go through some pretty good uh, bull markets through that period of time. But we've had some pretty bad bear markets. Yep. And my point is when you look at the difference, what I'm looking for is risk and how that's emerged of owning just, say, the S&P 500 uh, relative to did I – was I able to create anything that helped balance some, my risk uh, by, by owning additional asset classes as they became available, other foreign markets, for example? And the answer is most of the time, yes. In this last global systematic kind of decline we had – uh, no, you didn't get a lot by diversifying outside of the U.S. because everything went down significantly. Yeah. Um, but th- the previous four times, you actually did pick up some benefit by reducing the amount of risk of any of one of those asset classes by owning all of them. So do you throw the strategy out because one out of four times we have a global f- financial crisis and doesn't work perfectly? No, not at all. That would be a, that would be a horrible mistake. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, we got a couple minutes, and then we've got one more segment, I believe. But uh, so he says, he goes on to talk about looking at the present situation that U.S. stocks, after a three-year boom, are now at very high prices compared with dividends, uh, or the replacement costs of company assets in the past ten years of earnings. Three measures with a decent track record of predicting long-term performance. As for bonds, their yields are desperately low, especially when compared with inflation. It's hard to argue that either asset class is cheap. What about the track record? So we could stop there. Do you have anything to say before we go into the break here about uh, his presumption of overpriced uh, stocks and, and bonds? Well, we've talked about this before. I mean, I don't know what measure he's using for the to coming to the conclusion of being having stocks being overpriced. Um, we haven't seen that much in the data that, that shows that's actually true. Um, you know, we had a nice long discussion a couple of shows ago about that. And uh, in terms of the bonds, well, um, certainly certain types of bonds are, I would guess, uh, I would say, just because the yields on fiber, you know, treasuries, U.S. treasuries are is so low, meaning the prices are pretty high. So that's possible. But that doesn't mean blankly bonds in general are all bad. Right. There's different types of bonds. I think it's just a, a justification for diversification. I think in any of these things, there's just there's a reason it supports our view of extreme diversification. Right. Well, we'll talk about it when we get back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management. Inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. 
Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host, uh, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Um, this is the last segment of the show, so this is your last opportunity to give us a call for today if you'd like to, to join the show. Uh, you can reach us at contact at empiradio.com or via phone at 866-472-5790. And uh, Ken, we we're just about to finish up the rest of this article here, I think. That's right. We'll try to do it uh, as quickly as can since we only have nine minutes here. <laughs> All right. And the gist of the article, Ethan, again, is that, that – and why we're kind of reviewing it this way. One was um, an investor put it in front of us. And I'm assuming it got put in front of us because they were wondering if it questions the way we invest. Yeah. If it I, questions any – and the first point we were making is no because we don't invest that way. We don't blindly put people into a one-stock index portfolio and everybody winds up in a 60-40. We don't think that – you should be changing your asset allocation specifically uh, irregard- or regardless of your uh, personal situation, but it's based entirely over someone's view of whether we are over or undervalued on stocks or bonds. Right. So suddenly if we think both stocks and bonds are overvalued, we run to things like commodities or gold, which I think is a joke because you don't know – how do you know whether gold or commodities are over or underpriced? Or how about treasuries? What fundamental – here he presents um, – and it's a very large debate about whether stocks or bonds are over or undervalued. Yeah. I can find five analysts for every five analysts that say it's under. That will say it's overvalued. And it's very hard to find any relevant empirical data that substantiates, hey, when we are valued based on these three measures at, at this level, the next <clears throat> period of time will generate exactly this return. So even when even the best approaches that you look at don't aren't perfect, they're only right maybe you know a majority of the time, maybe fifty to sixty percent of the time they've worked out, and never to a degree of perfection. Right. <clears throat> so it's very difficult to determine what's valued, overvalued, or undervalued at any point in time, other than extremes. Right. And, and I think we would agree or, or caution investors to say, hey, we're not in an extreme. You can make an argument that stocks are overvalued if you wanted to, or undervalued. But are we at an extreme? It's not clear. It's not that if we were trading at two or three hundred times earnings, right? Historically based, that would be crazy. Those are fake. Books. And we could say, hey, we, Facebook prices, right? Although there were stocks trading that way, and people thought that was normal Reasonable at one time. Sure. So what we're saying is, hey, 
there certainly should be some consideration to the valuations of different investment asset classes. So if you get to the recommendation page and he's saying 30% goes into uh, long-term treasury bonds, I'd say, hey, that's pretty that's pretty counter to what you just said in this article because you said bonds were overvalued, right? Yeah, and that uh, he's got 60% in bonds. Yields are desperately low, especially when compared with inflation. The problem is the worst possible investment asset class to buy when yields are extremely low and you have a risk of high inflation and or rising interest rates in the future would be long-term treasury bonds. How can you, in good conscience, put an article together and have a recommendation that winds up putting you in 30% long-term treasury bonds when you just said in the same article that bonds are overvalued? Yeah, it's a direct contradiction. It doesn't make any... It's almost, I was saying at the beginning, again, not to be too hard on Brett here, but it's almost as if whoever wrote the first page or so um, did not have anything to do with the last page of the article. Yeah, that's definitely a non-sequitur. Uh, exactly. Whatever that means. <laughs> um, I had to look it up to refresh my memory. Okay. Well, why don't you share? <laughs> well, here, I have it here. Okay. I thought that was kind of funny. While you're looking that up, <laughs> you got it? Yeah, hang on. Okay. Um, yeah, it does not follow, right? That's what it means. It's Latin. It does not follow. It does not follow. Yeah. Okay. It's most often used to describe uh, an illogical argument or statement. So the danger here is the tips. So then he says, put the other 30% in, in tips, treasury inflation, which those have done very well for us, right, in recent times yes. of, of our bond components. Sure. We typically, we're not advocating 30% allocation, but... The, the issue you have to worry about there is, hey, you're, it's great because you will get inflation protection, and I think everyone should have it. I don't think they should be going wildly over or under weightings in tips. If your idea was, hey, bonds in general are overvalued, yeah, I don't see how that how that supports that because tips still have the risk that is inherent with infl- in interest rate changes. So if you, if you have very low interest rates, yes, you will be protected from inflation. But if rates shot up really quick and you owned a very long-term tip, mm-hmm. it's important to be clear about what tips you're owning, which is completely left out of the article. Plus, the other issue is this. If, if you're buying tips now, they've done very well for the last three four years, just like you know, gold and half the other stuff he has in the recommended portfolio. Um, the issue is if, if, if inflation is lower than what's expected, then those prices are going to fall. Because the expectations for inflation are already built into the prices of the current tips. That's right. So if they're less than expected, well, geez, you're going to get hammered there too. So other commodities, 13%, and then a 7% weighting to gold is his his um, his other recommendation. Yeah. My thing is when you talk about dubious finance and all of this, um, explain to me where you come up with the expected rate of return for his gold return and commodities return. So here he's making fun of people, which, by the way, are not us. We're not saying people are going to get an 8% return um, in a 60-40. We know what that's done in the past, and we know what the risk characteristics are. Right. What's important is the relationship of stocks, bonds, and inflation. And in those different time periods, if you know your market history, it's interesting to know like I pointed out in that first time period of 1927 through 31, yeah. um, that you had negative inflation during that period of time. You had a negative inflation rate of negative 3.7%. So even though your bonds didn't do incredibly well, 
Um, you didn't have to to stay ahead of inflation. And you it actually did. could have had a negative uh, yield. Right. And, and but it did protect you against what happened in stocks. Yeah, right. and inflation, right. actually. Um, so you have to understand those relationships. Some of the high returns have come during periods of high inflation. So the real return um, is closer during those periods of time, those differing periods of time, than you would on a nominal basis. Because he says in here, he goes on where we left off to talk about how there's holes in his 8% return. Again, I, I challenge him, produce the advisor. I want to know who they are that are out there guaranteeing 8% in a 60-40 or just saying everybody should be in a 60-40 regardless of their risk tolerance or their circumstances. Further, I, again, I challenge, I want to know who's out there recommending a single U.S. stock portfolio and a single bond portfolio, um, which is not defined in here anywhere, what that is. So to have an article that might, cause people to change how they're investing and not provide any of those critical data points as an, as an expert myself is very dubious. I would agree. But he says, yields are desperate though. What about the track record? I took a look at the data as compiled by the Federal Reserve and analyzed by New York University Stern School. I created a hypothetical 60-40. That's what we need to know. What is that hypothetical that I don't, I didn't see in the article? And tracked it over 85 years, rebalancing it a annually. My analysis, that average return of 8% is full of holes. First, it ignores inflation. Again, that's a ridiculous argument. I don't know what the point of that is. Why, would, why is that such a shocker? You need, you you need to quote, adjust. You always quote the real returns? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's very important to understand real returns. That's why you invest in this stuff. Yeah. But... I don't think that puts holes in anything. Whatever the index did, you, you, you certainly back out inflation to get the real return. Oh. You know, we don't have time to go through all this. Uh, looks like we've just got less than a minute here. All right. But uh, maybe next week we can finish our thoughts on, on what we're saying here um, on how to approach this idea of building an asset allocation. I do not recommend the, the five, mixing it in the five alloc, uh, one, two, three, four, five asset classes in the way they do for everybody. I think that's that's a horrible uh, way to do things. Do I, can't closing I, comments I, I can't argue you? with that. I'm, I'm almost laughing, okay. laughing out loud about the recommendation, which uh, usually I try to contain And maybe it will invite Brett to come on the program. It's not about to talk to him because I don't want to misrepresent what he's trying to do there. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week on Empirical Investing Radio. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.